Hosea chapter 14, I would like you to follow along with me um, as we read this chapter, really, verses 1 through 9. He says, O Israel, return unto the Lord thy God, for thou hast fallen by thine iniquity. Take with you words and turn to the Lord. Say unto him, take away all iniquity. And receive us graciously, so we will render the calves of our lips. Asher shall not save us. We will not ride upon horses, neither will we say any more to the work of our hands, Ye are gods. For in thee the fatherless find mercy. I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely. For mine anger is turned away from him. I will be as the dew unto Israel. He shall grow as the lily and cast forth his roots as Lebanon. His branches shall spread and his beauty shall be as an olive tree and his smell as Lebanon. Then that which dwell under his shadow shall return. They shall receive as the corn and grow as the vine. The scent thereof shall be as the wine of Lebanon. Ephraim shall say, What have I to do any more with idols? I have heard him and observed him. I am like a green fir tree. For me is thy fruit found. Who is wise, and he shall understand the things. Prudent, and he shall know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the just shall walk in them. But the transgressor shall fall therein. I'm going to speak to you tonight on a message entitled, The Dew of Heaven. The Dew of Heaven, which is found there in verse number 5, where he says, I will be as the dew unto Israel. Would you pray with me as we begin? Just ask the Lord to speak to our hearts. Lord, thank you for tonight and the opportunity to preach your word. I pray that you would draw us into your presence, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would make real the truths of your word in the hearts of your people tonight. Lord, we hold Brother Crane up before you, even right now, asking you to give the doctors wisdom and him strength, and that he would come through and successfully and with a good report. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, often our lives are seen in the pattern or the habits or the actions of the children of Israel. It is God's chosen people, and the Old Testament is chocked full of the stories that God has given us as He recounts the lives of these, His people. He describes for us their successes and their shortcomings. Sometimes you and I stand back in awe at their faith. And at other times, we stand back in awe at their failures. We wonder how it is that they can go from a mountaintop to a valley so quickly. And God has given us the records in the Old Testament here, not as a means or a way to mock the children of Israel, but that we would learn from them, that we would gain truth and understanding, and maybe from their mistakes, we might avoid making some ourselves.
Beloved, no matter how far the children of Israel fell, no matter what happened to them in their progression or their wayward hearts as they walked away from God, it did not matter how far they fell, God always provided a way to return. God always had a means or a way or sought to call them back into fellowship with Him. And God always has a way, Christian, to restore us to Him. Of the minor prophets, Hosea is one of the books that I really enjoy. I don't know. I mean, obviously, the passage we just read, there's a lot of um, pictorial language in there. There's a lot of things that on the surface, as you read it, you're probably like, what in the world is he talking about? <laughs> like, uh, that's just not making any sense to me. And, and you have to kind of dig into it a little bit. Uh, it's not right on the surface there, but uh, of course, you know the message in this book of Hosea and his wife, Gomer, who went out and played the whore, went out and sought safety from another place and sought satisfaction from another place, and yet Hosea loved her so much that he went and bought her back from the auction block. Again, just the ongoing description of God's love and how he always provides a way back. How his love is ever-present and there for us. We are given a picture of the heart of God in verse number one of our text today. He says in verse number one there, he says, O Israel, return unto the Lord thy God, for thou hast fallen by thine iniquity. Dearly beloved, if you're among the fallen tonight, I would implore you to return. I would implore you to come back to sweet fellowship with God because He is always there and longs for you to return to that place of belling, of that place of great blessing, that place of great fellowship. The picture in the text here is given to us as dew, dew from heaven, that dew that brings again its life to a barren, dry land. It's a very clear pattern that's given to us in this text of how to return. So although we long for that dew, the dew of heaven, there's a process through which we get there. If we have fallen, if we have wandered away, then we've got to follow God's pattern to get back to be able to enjoy the dew of heaven. That life-giving moisture that comes from God. First of all, I want you to see tonight that if you're going to be returned to that place, if you're going to come back, there has to be an acknowledgement of sin, an acknowledgement of your transgression. He says, O Israel, return to the Lord thy God, for thou hast fallen. He doesn't say by a iniquity. He doesn't say by someone's iniquity. He says by 
thine iniquity. By thine iniquity. There was a young lady by the name of Beverly Sillis who was, and, and listen, this is straight out of women's health, okay? So I don't want any comments <laughs> about secondary or auxiliary meanings. I have no agenda here. I'm just telling you the story as it was presented in the magazine, <laughs> okay? Beverly was very overcome with the work she had as the general director of the New York Opera. This workload was so heavy, she only found relief in eating. She ballooned into obesity. It made me sick to look at myself, she said. I had reached the point where I didn't even want to have my clothes made anymore. I was too embarrassed. So I ordered everything from catalogs. Eventually... She was forced to face the problem. She said, I woke up one day and realized I had a problem. I was ill. I needed to see a specialist. I went to the doctor and he put me on the scales and it read 215 pounds. I couldn't possibly weigh that much, I gasped. And the doctor said, ma'am, would you please look down? Ma'am, are those two fat feet on the scale yours or mine? Beverly smiled, said, once I accepted the problem, I was on my way to conquering it. (laughs) She realized she had a problem. And you know, and you've heard the saying that, you know, if if the the first step to conquering a problem is admitting you have one, just acknowledging that, admitting that. And beloved, that's what we see here in this text where the father says we need to acknowledge the fact that we have been pulled away or drawn away or enticed by our own lust, that it is our own iniquity that has pulled us away from God. There is no returning without first admitting our current condition. He says, thou hast fallen. The blessing was gone. The power of God was gone. The presence of God was gone. How sad it is, beloved, that so many of us are like Samson who wist not that the glory had departed. We're still going through the motions. We're still fulfilling our duties. We're still standing in our place. But it's been a long time since we felt the dew of heaven, since we've enjoyed that sweet fellowship with the Master. It is iniquity that has separated you between you and your God. They had to come to an understanding of their condition and they needed to realize that it was their own fault. For they had sinned. You know, beloved, it's human nature to want to blame our condition on someone else. That's just human nature. Don McCullen wrote in a discipleship uh, magazine wrote about the general manager of a minor league baseball team who was so disgusted with his center fielder, the performance was so poor that ultimately he ordered him to the dugout and he assumed assumed the position himself. The first ball that came to him had a bad bounce and hit him right in the face. 
not to be dissuaded, he continued to play the position. The next one was a high-flying ball, which he lost in the glare of the sun until finally it passed his glove and hit him in the forehead. The third one was a line drive, and he thought, I've got this one, and he ran right towards it and uh, put his glove out, and it missed his glove and hit him right in the eye. So very disgusted, he ran into the dugout and called, grabbed his center fieldman by the jersey and pulled him up, and he said, young man, you've made such a mess of center field, I can't even do anything with it. <laughs> That's what we want to do. Blame it on somebody else. We go all the way back to the, to the Garden of Eden and, and Eve, you know, Adam wanted to blame it on Eve and Eve wanted to blame it on the serpent and somebody said and the serpent didn't have a leg to stand on. And we, we want to give somebody else. We want to make somebody else the guilty party. It's not us, God. Surely not me. I'm not the one. It's so-and-so, or it's this, or it's that, or it's our circumstances, or whatever it is. But, beloved, if we're ever going to really get back to the place where we're real with God, and God meets with us, and that dew from heaven falls on our heart again, we're going to have to acknowledge that the Spirit is gone. Acknowledge our sin. Beloved, if you find that the soil of your heart is hard and barren and dry, and you long for the Spirit to move again, then get alone with God and acknowledge your sin. We see secondly here that there's a confession of sin that takes place. He says in verse number two, he says, take with you words and turn to the Lord, say unto him, take away all iniquity. I, I, I hear that word, take with you words, and I think of it almost like you would tell your, your child, like, okay, no, use your words. Okay, no, no, talk. You, I know you can talk. Ask mom with your words, right? Say please or what, whatever, you know, just kind of, and, and the prophet here is saying, take with you words. I, I liken it to the fact that do you know, beloved, there is a requirement if one is going to put their, saving, their faith and trust in Jesus Christ to trust Him for salvation that they have to, what does the Bible say, confess with your mouth. You've got to confess with your mouth. There's something that God expects or desires from us that we would use our mouth, that we would express with our mouth. And I don't know that I've come to a, a reason, and maybe somebody can help me with this, but why it is that there is that that requirement from God, but he wants us to say it with our mouth, believe it in our heart. And here the prophet is saying, take your words. He's saying, confess your sin. We know 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's something about confessing our sin that brings that healing balm of Gilead that brings it to our hearts and begins that process of restoration. You know, he will forgive any sin that's confessed. And he'll begin to give you the power to overcome it. One, one school program that was trying to teach young people how to, how to pray and talk to the Lord and how to confess their sin, and they, they were dealing with these kids, and they said, well, you know, kids, 
maybe uh, sometimes it's hard to remember, you know, what you did because, you know, you have short memories. So it would be good maybe if you wrote down and then when you got alone and you began to pray and ask the Lord for forgiveness, you could look at your list and say, oh, I did this and I did this. And you could confess that to the Lord and that would be good. And so the kids in class were instructed, you know, just kind of make a list of where they had transgressed against God and, and seek forgiveness for that. And uh, the next day, one of the teachers overheard one of the boys in a adjacent classroom praying, and he was praying and talking to the Lord, and then he, he, he heard a, a rustling, and the boy, he said, Lord, I need you to forgive me for talking back to my mom. I need you to forgive me for hitting my sister. What? This is not my list. <laughs> somebody had given him or swapped out his list. Wouldn't you like it if somebody else could confess your sin? Somebody else could take care of that here, brother. Take this to God for me. <laughs> uh, just give it away and let somebody else carry your sin to the Lord. But no, it's what we have to do. We have to confess it. Use our mouth and confess our sin. Acknowledge that it's there. But just an acknowledgement or an understanding that, that there is a sin is just the beginning. Then we come to him and we confess it to him and get forgiveness. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us. Amen. And then we see, thirdly here, he says that there's a forsaking that takes place in verse number three. He said, Asher shall not save us. We will not ride upon horses, neither will we say any more to the work of our hands. Ye are our gods. For in thee the fatherless find mercy. You see, beloved, Israel had come to the place where they were relying on themselves. They had come to the place where they no longer felt like they needed God. They went from God providing their daily bread, God giving them exactly and everything that they needed. They went from relying on Him every day for everything they needed to, oh, we're doing okay now. We don't really need God right now because after all, our crops are growing. They're coming in and we're, we're doing fine. And, and hey, we've got our own horses now so we can defend our property and we, can, we don't need the Lord for that. And after all, we have set up and built and established our own gods. They made their own gods with their own hands. But you see here in this verse, they said, hey, we're not going to rely on our horses. We're no longer going to look at the work of our hands and say, that's our God. Because we know that that's not it. It's the God of heaven. There was a forsaking of that which they knew they had done wrong. The horses and the homes and the herds that they had, they no longer were going to rely upon. They were going to rely upon God. Oh, they had a garden, but they forgot who watered it. They were going to take down the idols and put their faith and trust in God and God alone. There is a forsaking of the sin of idolatry. They saw it, they understood it, and they were no longer going to participate in it. Acknowledgement and confession is just the beginning, beloved. There must be a forsaking. We know that repentance means a 180-degree return. You, you, you say, I was going this way, but if I repent of that, then I've turned 180 degrees. I'm not going to do that anymore. There is a forsaking of that. And beloved, when we confess our sin, 
We need to forsake it. We need to stop going back to it. We need to start asking God for strength to overcome it and not dwell there anymore. What do you need to forsake today? Is there anything between you and God that you need to get out of the way? This is the process, beloved, where we get to the place where we can enjoy the dew. Where we can enjoy the dew. That dew that God wants to send, that refreshing, life-giving water from heaven. He says in verse number four, he says, I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely. For mine anger is turned away from him. I will be as the dew unto Israel. What a joy to think about how God brings the backslider home. He describes it here as a healing. He heals that injury, that hurt. He pictures it as dew on the ground. How long has it been since you felt the dew of heaven? Elisha when he was describing or talking about the judgment of God, he said to the inhabitants of Gilead and unto Ahab, The Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. You see, when God wanted to send judgment, he withheld the dew. He withheld the rain. That life-giving substance when God is going to judge, when God is trying to get our attention, He withholds the dew. Do you long for it? Do you desire it? Can I ask, have you ever, have you ever felt it? Have you ever known that feeling, that sweet fellowship with the Father? What a blessing it is when he sends the dew. You know, this is a different kind of blessing than, than we sing the song, There shall be showers of blessing. Showers of blessing. They're, they're, it's, it's different. I think about the showers of blessing as, as blessings from outside. As blessings that God sends in from a different source or sends in some other way. And these, these of course, are, are wonderful and magnificent. And, and we praise God for it. But I think about the blessing of the dew of heaven as being something God sends from inside. That he just saturates our life with moisture from heaven. It's strengthening. It's reviving. And it's from the inside out. Dew has a healing nature. That dry and barren grass is now wet with the dew of heaven. That which was brittle becomes pliable, and that which was barren becomes fruitful, and that which was brown turns green because of the dew. It's soft. It's refreshing. It's light. It's in contrast to that great shower, to that tumultuous storm, or, or even, a, even, even a, like a spring downpour. You might have some tender plants that, that when we get a good downpour, it could wash away the root system. But 
that morning dew provides moisture and life-giving water in such a gentle way. It carries the nutrients right down into the roots. And that's what God is describing here. Dew usually comes to rest on the land under the cover of darkness. What I'm saying is that sometimes things look dark. But that's the time God can come. It's usually that pre-dawn, morning hours, where that dew begins to start to spread. Sometimes you'll get it late in the evening when there's a big thermal change. But you know how the dew saturates everything? Just gets on everything? Uh, you know, you, you walk through the grass and then your shoes are all wet because of the dew. It's just covered, covered the grass. Didn't, didn't even realize how wet it was out there, but all of a sudden it's soaked all the way through your shoes and, and through your socks, and you're like, man, now my shoes are soaked because of the dew that's there. The healing nature of dew is found because water has with it a cleansing power. There's a cleansing power of the Spirit of God, which is described as water in the Scriptures. In Ephesians 5.26, he says, That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the Word. Titus 3.5 says, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. You see, it brings a cool, refreshing nourishment. It also has a helping nature. Dew brings unprecedented growth. The thunderstorm, the shower can rain down and, and, and just kind of almost wash away. I mean, just kind of flow down the street and run off of the yard and, and all the moisture is gone in just a short time. But when the dew is there, the moisture remains and plants begin to grow in a very strong and healthy way. This is what the dew of heaven does for the believer. It's a sign of God's great blessing. Genesis chapter 27. We see the the dew of heaven described as a blessing. He says, and he came near and he kissed him and he smelled the smell of his raiment and he blessed him. And he said, see the smell of my son and the smell of the field which the Lord hath blessed. Therefore, God give thee of the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of corn and wine. That phrase, the dew of heaven, is found seven times in the scripture. I think it's twice in the book of Genesis and the remainder all in the book of Daniel. But it's dew from heaven. You know, that's where dew comes from, from heaven. God sends the dew. And what we're talking about here is that great working of the Holy Spirit that saturates the soul of the Christian. And if it's been a long time since you've felt or known that, return. Return. Dew from heaven is the soft, still small voice of the Holy Spirit of God. Just think about how subtle the dew is. In just a little while, the dew saturates and coats the ground. 
Spurgeon said this about the dew. He said, you will notice, first of all, that grace, like the dew, often comes down imperceptibly. Comes down into man's heart. When did the dew tell us that it was about to fall? Whoever heard the footsteps of the dew coming down upon the meadows? Whoever knew when it began to descend? We see it when it has fallen. But who saw it come? And so it is with Christianity. It is often very imperceptible in its operations that God sends the dew. I don't know, as I ponder and think upon this, we as individuals need the dew of heaven. We as a church need the dew of heaven. We need the moving of the Spirit of God on the hearts of men. We might not even realize when it first begins So softly does he come. But we need it. And God's not going to send it unless we have people that are right. People that have acknowledged, confessed, and forsaken sin. And looking and longing when God comes and says, my wrath is no more. And I'm going to send blessing upon you. When you return to him, dew can come. And I ask you, how long has it been since the dew of heaven fell on your soul? You felt it and knew it.